0: Good evening, uh, Missy. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. How are you doing tonight?
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, you have an excellent book you're coming out or working on right now, and you're actually working with Mark Weiss. So uh, if you could start talking, the book is about Kevin DeBrow and the years you've spent with him. Um, you could start a little bit on on your, um, on your the book itself, a little summary.
1: Um, yeah, basically the book itself is um, it's called Keep On Rolling." Uh, My fan club years with Kevin DeBron, Quiet Riot. And the reason why it has Kevin's name in Quiet Riot, as opposed to just Quiet Riot, is because technically Quiet Riot originally was with Randy Rose. And that was what I call Quiet Riot, the Randy Rose years or the era. (laughs) And when I I started to see them at the very tail end of that, I was a little younger than the the normal crowd. And uh, then Randy went with Ozzy and I had just started seeing them. And uh, Kevin was starting all over. So when he was starting all over, he started his own band under his own name, Dubrow, and he performed for a couple of years, uh, a total of 107 shows, sometimes two a night, and I went to 105 of those shows. And uh, so I was kind of on the ground floor of his solo uh, situation, and most of the songs and a lot of songs that were written by Kevin, and I have demo tapes of a lot of those songs, uh, ended up being on the Quiet Riot albums once they were Quiet Riot. I call them the mental health years. Yeah. And um, Kevin got the record deal, and then they changed the name to Quiet Riot. So technically, this is leading up to the uh, record deal and when mental health came out. And I was running his fan club and you know promoting to get people to the show for the first couple of years on his own. And then when he got the record deal, Kevin asked me to be the official uh, fan club of the Quiet Riot Squad, he called it. And then I was there when the album boomed and I got to deal with a lot of the fans and, and run the fan club for the first, the big push there, the big you know, opening of the band. So that kind of covers Kevin trying to get the record deal and the shows and all the different experiences that, um, that I went through. So it's, it's from my perspective, uh, fans' perspective
0: how, how far does it go to the story with him? Do you um, go to the end, or
1: well, it, it basically it's pretty pretty much straightforward from seventy nine um, up until um, I would say eighty four, mm-hmm. and then after that, there's information about the relationship, you know, with Frankie and with Kevin. Um, later on, it was more sporadic, but it all yeah. kind of comes together, and then it you know addresses Kevin's death. It addresses you know and then while I was writing in the book this year uh, Frankie passed and so um, honestly it 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 has a solid timeline and but then after that it's like how we kind of grew apart because you know once they're big my job was pretty much done and, right. and social media was the thing and it wasn't about having a fan club president that's just like a thing of the past now but I had some pretty fun adventures with the fans and it was fun to see this band get huge and working with Kevin and with Frankie. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And honestly, I wrote pieces of it over the years, but never really sat down to finish it. And that was at the urging of friends who loved my different fan stories. Uh, but 2020 came around and I said, I'm home. So I worked on it every day <laughs> until I finished it. So it ended up, ended up a good thing about 2020 this time.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a good time for me, creative time for everybody. Um, yeah. So... So you ended up getting involved with Mark, though. How did he get involved with the book? And we'll go back to more of your well, stories. but
1: Honestly, with Mark, it's interesting because everybody knows Mark. Everybody knew Mark. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Mark. <laughs> Turns out Mark ended up being uh, becoming friends with Kevin and the band right when they were starting to hit, like I think during the US festivals when he first saw them. And he was there, uh, from what I understand, uh, photographing Ozzy. And then he saw by riot. And then that started from there. Um, I actually finished the book, the, the, all the text of it. And then I was looking for a cover for the book. Now I have my own photos of Dubrow, uh and I have those sort of things to put inside the book, but they aren't, you know, Mark caliber by, by any means. So I'm looking on the internet and I'm trying to find a particular photo. I wanted a picture of Kevin wearing um, this necklace that he had, which was a 3d microphone stand of his microphone stand in gold with a little diamond. And I gave yeah, that to I'm him a gift. Yeah, and I gave it to as a birthday gift uh, right when he went on to play solid gold TV show. And um, he wears it all over the place. I thought, oh God, I'd love to have a great photo of that. And I found a photo online and it ended up being mm-hmm. Mark's. So I contacted him and I thought, oh, he's kind of expensive, but you know, maybe he'll give me a break and I can use it for the cover. Well Mark didn't just say yes or no or here's my price he said well, what are you working on what, what are you doing and he just kept asking questions by email so I finally just picked up the phone you know I'm West Coast he's East Coast mm-hmm. and we started talking and um, he asked me more about the project and we realized we were like again ships passing on the night as I was pretty much launching that part he came in and started when they got really big and we just never met each other um, and that in my memorabilia, I have 8 by 10 photos that he took that Kevin signed to me in my collection. <laughs> so that was really cool. And uh, so Mark, so let me think about this. Uh, for about a month, he just launched his book, literally, in June. And we, we talked in June. And a month later, he contacted me again and said, I have a, a bigger vision for this book. I think we should put some my photos in that would accompany your stories. And then get Ron Sobel involved. And Ron Sobel is the original Quiet Riot Randy Rhodes photographer and one of Kevin's best friends. And Ron was like, yeah, sure. So I've got two phenomenal photographers who took pictures of Quiet Riot that I got to select photos from, along with some of mine, to create this book.
0: That's, that's, that's incredible. I mean, it's, yeah, it just fell together. It's, it's perfect. I mean, if you were sitting around and said, you know what would really be great for this book? I gave my hands <laughs> like, some great photography. <laughs> I can get some great yes. photography to work with me and be part of the book, yes. that I have to pay for. I wonder if that could happen. That, that's that's well, you really know, fantastic. I,
1: I, joke, I joke around with people and I tell them, look, it, I plan to put this thing out on Kindle. A little, not even a hardback. I was just going to sell it to a few friends, call it a day. That was, that was the original plan. But once Mark got involved and then he told me what he what he wanted to do, it occurred to me, that there's some kind of divine intervention or orchestration here because Kevin de did everything on a huge scale, and yeah. I don't think he would want this book to be tiny. I think he'd want it to be, you know, representation of his personality. So I kind of laugh over that possibility.
0: <laughs> well, it definitely is, is better in you hit a bigger audience too. You know, I would have been one of those guys that picked it up on Kindle because I love to, I've read it off the rails. I, I read everything, so I would I would have been the one person that got it on Kindle. But the idea of having these great photos makes it that much better. Yes. And a few people have mentioned that, that part of the photography part too. And with this part, you know, they're like, this sounds fantastic. They're, yeah. you know, they're excited. Just a few people have mentioned it too, you know, just the concept of it. It's, it's.
1: Well, there's, there's, a, there's some stories in there. One of them I talk about the filming of Mental Health, which was actually a college nearby. And um, Ron Sobel has some behind the scenes photos of that video shoot, their very first video shoot. And I was able to put them. In the book because i talk about the video shoot if you see behind me you can see a metal mask that there is just a the regular metal mask it looks just like the metal mask on the uh, album Mm -hmm. but for the video shoot the college made masks the people at the college and they passed them out to the audience and then after we were supposed to return them and of course i returned mine like a good little you know but my sister did not and so we don't know what happened to those masks 40 years ago however I have the one
0: she kept. So this is actually from the video shoot. Oh, nice. Yeah. It is that actually metal? No, it's a plastic. No,
1: plastic. has a little bit of a crack down here, unfortunately. Yeah. But this is the actual mask that they passed out to film for the audience to wear at the end. Because the whole premise was... Kevin went, you know, metal, and so at the end, the audience all has these masks on, and yep. we're all metal too. Well, and I then remember. we all went through the. But isn't that great? So this is the original video shoot mask, and probably it's the only one I know of its kind.
0: Probably, so. oh, yeah. That's it. that is fantastic. Does your sister know you have it?
1: <laughs> oh, she gave she loaned it to me. Besides, we're like but she, she went to everything with me. She was my constant shadow for this entire thing. So
0: how how did you find time? We'll start back at the 105 shows. How did you find time? Well,
1: part of it is I was a teenager.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of shows for one person.
1: Well, two a night can add up. Yep. And um, I was not dedicated. I just, I just loved the band. I mean, I was a, a huge Queen fan. And I loved the Queen fan club. And I thought they were so quality. And I loved the way they did it. And I was kind of, if I ever loved a band, I would love to run a quality fan club and connect with the <laughs> fans. So when I saw them perform and, you know, that's it, laser focus. um, I was, I didn't have a car, you know, Um, I actually took the bus to, you know, fast food place. And I worked in a fast food restaurant, Arby's. I saved all my money, all my babysitting money. And I used that for discount tickets. And I basically went to every single show. I'd pay someone $50 and book them a month in advance to make sure I didn't miss one show. And I only missed two. Because I was underage. First of all, if you have his back, he is beyond loyal—more than anybody I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. He is—he will protect you, and he is loyal to you. And he—and he appreciates when you're a good person. If you're doing stuff and, you know, backstabbing or talking—you know—outside both sides of your face, he doesn't—he doesn't care for that. Um, another thing about Kevin is that he pays attention to everything. Uh, so if you think you can get away with doing something that's kind of you know, nasty and he won't find out about it and hold it against you, you're also wrong in that area. So if you're a true blue person, you're very straightforward with him, then there's absolutely zero problem. Now, keep in mind, I always attribute the success of our relationship is that Kevin and I are very similar. We're very business-like. You know, he wanted a record deal. He booked gigs. He wanted to find the right people in the band. It was simply a a laser focus, and I loved the music, loved the band, and I was laser focused on wanting them to get a record deal. So there was really no no reason to not get along. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as him talking about other bands and whatnot, again, I'm similar to him. I'm very loyal to very few bands. And I have personally have have ideas about bands I don't like. I'm not on the world stage, so no one cares if I do or don't like a band. Kevin was, and so therefore he had a whole different level of scrutiny than somebody who doesn't not on the world stage. So, I actually I actually like the fact that he had his opinions because he wasn't just this PC person that says what's expected of him, and basically that to me turns into kind of like a, a non personality. And I know he regrets some of it, um, and it hurt his career.
0: Well, that uh, that, was that was the point. Was not, being being so yeah. laser focused in business, it's like any of us at any of our jobs, you wouldn't go in and being like just bad-mouthing other people at other places you know what I mean it's just not good business He's it not isn't making, not making him saying he has to love these people either a lot of the are just like you know what i don't know anything about them and they just don't have to talk about them you can yeah you being a different person by not talking about them so to you're me more, that,
1: you're more diplomatic than most and that's just it yeah. you know you're talking a guy who's in his early 20s too a lot of this stuff <laughs> or mid-20s a lot of this stuff he had to learn clearly and he probably made those kind of comments about bands before he was big and didn't realize this was going to be something he had to stop. And he learned too late. And anyone else knows Kevin, you can't tell him what to do. You can't say, hey, you know, you really should, you just can't do it. And, you know, for, for better or worse, that was his that was his life. And I would never have recommended him to do anything different because he had to learn the hard way for him. But again, he, as far as a person who, if you put that aside, He's a loyal person. He gets jealous very easy. He gets jealous over band members or or like, for instance, you know, I want Randy in my band or I want Frankie in my band, that kind of thing. Um, He even was jealous if I went and saw other bands locally. Why do you want to go see them? You know, what, 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 you know, that's just who he is, but he is charismatic. He's funny. Yeah. And he's talented and he's got a voice. And he writes great songs. And I mean, the first few albums had a lot of the songs he wrote as Dubrow. And I have demos of them under different names, maybe different yeah. lyrics. In fact, um, the book's name is Keep On Rolling, which is a Dubrow song, my personal favorite song. And it ended up being on, on a condition critical, but he changed the name to Party All Night. So that's what the world knows that song as. But I know it as Keep On Rolling. And I, I'd asked him, why did you change the name and the lyrics of that song? He said, I really like Keep On Rolling. I wanted it to be on an album, but I had to change the name and the lyrics because it fit with the theme of that particular album. I'm like, okay, you know, and it, it sounds great and the video's fun, but mm-hmm. keep on rolling is still my favorite. And I have a I have a little sound clip that I play on my computer all the time because to me that's the original version. So keep on rolling was definitely gonna be the title of the book.
0: <laughs> that's a good title. How different is it from that song? Is it just the title's different or?
1: um well it, it, uh, it's kind of like same thing with like no more booze and metal health I, i'm sure you know metal uh, metal health was originally a, a song called no more booze and carlos Cavazo wrote it in the band mm-hmm. snow yeah. and that one there was like no more booze what a drag whereas you know bang your head metal health will drive you mad so it, it the phrase is a slightly different but just different lyrics and different types. okay
0: mm-hmm. I was trying to imagine that song those lyrics in my head
1: <laughs> I love I love hearing
0: different versions of songs when bands come out and they're like, oh, that the first version of this, and they change it around. I love that.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That's that's really, really cool. Yeah. So when you first first started, so you say you caught the very first version of who was in right when you first first saw
1: Kevin, Rudy, Randy, and Drew Forsyth.
0: And then my first were, show, my first show of yeah.
1: 16 years old, uh, August 30th, 1979. Wow, and they played a rock and roll night at a disco. <laughs> they had a rock and roll night for all ages, so I was able to get in because you know no one liked disco back then. You know, disco sucked.
0: <laughs> so yes, they, they they turned Yeah, they turned fast.
1: Uh huh. So they so they they booked the club as a rock and roll night to get a new audience, and they you know turned off the disco ball, and my 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 girlfriend uh work next door at a water park. I used to go there and you know the water park and look at all the lifeguards and we're like mm-hmm. that discotheque that we, we went run by is gonna have a rock and roll nine let's go check it out and that's when I first saw them play. And
0: that was it right?
1: That that was that it was-, was it. That was it. And and they cut the set short because Randy blew out a monitor. So the next day we called this it was called the Star Baby and we called the Star Baby and said, who is that band? Where do they play? And they're like Look, they play in Hollywood. You know, this was the valley. And, you know, they said Rudy Rhodes or Randy Sarzo. They didn't even know the names properly. And so we called the Starwood and, and the whiskey and the places they were playing. And that was it. I, I was hooked. I was going to see them. And, and um, even to this day, 40 years later, I remember that, that single devotion of like, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm this is it. <laughs> I'm not deviating from this path.
0: Well, there's three members of, of that band, besides, I mean, or two that really continued on being huge, you know, with Randy and, and Rudy on top mm-hmm. of. So you get to see them at a certain time, too. So, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, to have seen Randy play numerous times, it's a lot of people be like, really? That's awesome. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. With, you know, Randy was my favorite at first. I mean, who, you know, Randy is Randy. My God, you know, of course, when I first saw him, I just thought, how can this petite man make this guitar sound? And I was such a fan of Randy in the very beginning that I took photos of him and I showed my mother who sewed a Randy Rhodes vest and bow tie for me. She just faked it, the black and white. And there's a picture of me in the book wearing that with my little, you know, fluffy hair. And I'm 16, my eyes are all wild, like I'm just a teenage kid. And, And I wore that to one of the shows. And during the solo of Randy on the stage, he noticed that I had his exact outfit on, vest and bow tie, even though the bow tie kept getting crooked because <laughs> it was kind of, you know, kind of, you know, faked. And during the that show, during the solo, he kneeled down in front of me and kept pointing to his cheek. And I didn't know what he meant. And my friends are all like, you know, pushing on me. And I'm like, I don't know what he wants. And I realized he, he was saying, give me a kiss on the cheek because he saw I was just like him. So I you know he was dripping sweat, and I, I gave him a kiss on the cheek, and he kind of smiled and got up and he finished his solo <laughs> so that was that was a pretty cool moment for a sixteen year old girl
0: <laughs> yeah it's really it 's really fantastic actually to how that happen yeah. How many shows did you see before it went to Kevin went solo before the band kind of dissolved
1: you know what i I'd, I'd have to look probably only a handful i I saw him at the star baby. I saw them play at the Whiskey and the Starwood after that. Um, And it wasn't too long after that that they split, uh, you know, Randy left. And um, so um, that's when I started the, you know, the the Dubrow thing started. And that's when I started really counting all the rest of the show. So I really, again, I came into the tail end uh, of that. And that's why everything shifted to a relationship with Kevin.
0: I imagine it had been a hard time because you probably came actually probably in a good time for him. To be there yes. but in a yes. bad time because well if Randy left and did Ozzy then of course then, and um Rudy filed suit right that went I think yes yeah. um on the timeline I'm not familiar with the drummer I'm sorry to say um,
1: uh Drew Drew Forsyth at the time he was he was the original drummer and he sticked with Kevin in, in the beginning
0: yeah I'm sure he was great because it, there was never any you know Bad musicians in, in any version of the band. So, you know, yeah, the the day. So exactly. I'm sure he's fantastic. So, I might have been doubting how good he is. I just didn't know who he is. Um, so, but at that point, you know, you describe how you say how Kevin is, you know, would feel emotionally. You know, apparently he's very emotional driven. Losing Randy and then Rudy has got to be like betrayal. You know, you want your guys to do better, but God, that would be a jealousy thing, especially because they're, yeah, they're getting an album. You know. I, would, I would think. So, but you being there to kind of. Help support him, probably. He may not have realized at the time. to Help buffer against <laughs> the rocks there.
1: Maybe you know, and, and actually, you know, we were when I started working with him. It really started out as pen pals.
0: Um, oh I was my god, I remember pen pals. <laughs> yeah,
1: I actually have. I have in my book. Um, I think I. I think I put in about four, maybe five of, of his handwritten letters, because um, I what I what I did is that I just looked him up in the phone book. and I decided I would just take photos of the band make duplicates and then I would send him copies and write him a letter and I was happy with that and um he started writing back and um and he you know thanked me he'd tell me the new people in the band or I bought I wrote a whole new song and you know could you pass out more tickets I'm not sure if this band London has a following you know it's just kind of a thing going Mm -hmm. on and he knew I made a DeBrow shirt because there was no merchandise back then. So I went one of those kiosks the mall where you can just get a shirt and put some yeah. letters on it. it said DeBrow, white on black. And um, one time out before a um, show at the Starwood, we'd get there early. I, I had to be in the front, so I would literally get to any venue anywhere from an hour to two hours ahead of time with my friends and be in front line getting ready to be to get the best spot. That was that was what I did. And um, I had my DeBrow shirt on, and we had been riding back and forth. And he did also give me a call first, and he told me over the phone that Randy left the band at that point. Oh, and um, yeah, he called and said, "Do you know who this is?" And I'm like, "No." And he says, "You don't don't know who this is?" And I'm thinking, "I don't know who this man is. I'm am a teenager." <laughs> <laughs> and he started he started singing the "Keep on Rolling." I'm sorry. Looked like Cadillac, and I went, "Oh my God, Kevin!" And he says, "Yeah, yeah." So that's when he told me about the news. But honestly, he was, he was surprisingly optimistic. Uh, he said, "I'm going to start my own band. Uh, Drew and I'll work together for now." And he said, "I'm going to call it Dubrow. That way, I can call the shots." And he seemed very pleased with that. Um, you know, there's no group name now where he has to bend anybody's will. That's my 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 thought. And so that's how that started. And then finally one night when we were standing waiting for the show to start and again in front of the line kevin got out of his car for for a sound check and he saw me he walked over and pointed to my shirt and said you must be missy and i said <laughs> you would be right <laughs> <laughs> and that was and i introduced him to my friends and um that was my first meeting with him and wearing his jeans and suspenders for a sound check and then it was dusk and You know, the photographs, 40 years old, but I do have that photo of our first meeting in the book. So it means a lot to me, even though it's not a great photo, but it was the very first time I met him.
0: Well, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I think him calling you when that happened, you know, is is, is a pretty, pretty huge thing. I mean, yes, him reaching out. Clearly, he was kind of like, he had had something, he has something to share emotionally. And he didn't even know you. I mean, he had to share, he he had to get out of him somehow.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know what? Honestly, he was, you know, I know he probably had his, you know, you know, guys can be cool with each other and and, and talk about, you know, oh, yeah, this happened or whatever. But mm-hmm. when we talk about something, he would be giddy like a teenager. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? <laughs> so maybe I was a, a safe outlet to show that extra excited side about things that maybe may not have been so cool to express in front of other guys.
0: <laughs> and that's just, probably, that's just a theory. Uh, no, you're probably putting like a good cheerleader, not like you know like, like you know, behind him in a support system that, you know, when you hit the bottom or you have a good idea, it's good to have somebody behind you going, Yeah, you can do this, you know. Yeah. And yes. you were a fan that was there to before. So you would be the, the evidence of continuing on with him that he's to you know, make it legit to so continuing on. I think it validated him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you have got a lot of good insights. I, I really do. And he's emotionally driven. A lot of that is is so very true and you know, rather than hiring a, a corporate person to run a fan club, which they could have done, he wanted a, an authentic fan to run the mm-hmm. fan club. And uh, and I was honored when he said, "I want you on the back of the album, your name, and I want you to run the fan club." And I'm like, I'm I'm you know so honored.
0: Okay, so what kind of dude? He says it got bigger, like how'd it change? I ne- I don't know nothing about a fans club, so. Uh,
1: well, believe <laughs> no, me, sure. you, you you wing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there um, probably weren't believe- a lot of rules, were there at first? Really.
1: Yeah, really. Fan club is, is not much different, I think, than social media in the sense that uh, you know when I was doing it unofficially, I called I called the original fan club. I called it Dubro Rocks, <laughs> and I had a rubber stamp made for my return envelopes, and I would just, you know, anybody I could get to go, they became on my mail. I called it a mailing list. That was the original thing, and um, and then I also used to go to um, you know the large venues like the Forum. Mm-hmm. and this is before they were signed and uh, when when uh, like scorpions were playing or something and so i dragged drag my friends down to the the massive forum parking lot we'd wait in the car and then when all the people went inside the venue to see the scorpions we'd get out of the car and my little flyers I said to bro mailing list with the rocks on it i would walk around with my friends and we'd put them on all, all of the cars so i was trying to gather people from these large rock venues and i'm sure a lot of them Probably came back to their car and said, what the heck is a Debro?" But there were some people who said, oh my God, I saw that those guys, you know, in a club. And and they would fill out the form and send it to me. That was the unofficial list until the album came out. And then they actually had the Quiet Ride squad. And then people around the world would buy the Metal health album and they can actually write. And then they had a PO box. And, you know, started out with a handful of mail and I'd go once a week with my sister. But once I started opening for other bands, um, the mail was out of control, and we'd have to go to the PO box twice a week. And my sister would lift her jacket up, and we'd dump mail in it to carry it to the car. There was so much mail.
0: <laughs> wow, I-, I can imagine. I'm saying, I-, I imagine like once they get- once they hit, and you were doing that, duffel bags would be like, this is not a one person thing anymore. It's just like a production office. It's a.
1: It is, and I lived at home, and my sister lived at home, so we had our own bedrooms. And what I did is that. Um, I gave her a little portable typewriter and these little cards and I made a little system again, I'm very businesslike even as a teenager and she would open the mail and she would type up the person's name and address or whatever she had. And then she'd open up the the mail and lay it flat for me. And then she would give me a stack of letters and then Mm -hmm. I would read them. And, um, I, I had the band answer some questions for me ahead of time like a little questionnaire their favorite food their favorite color because that's the stuff that they all wanted to know Mm -hmm. favorite band and that kind of thing their birthday and if any fan asked an excessive amount of questions um my sister would use that cheat sheet to type up all the answers and i would review it and then i would sign my name and we'd, we'd return the letter to the fans and I would write a monthly newsletter and I would tell them how they're doing on the charts. I would tell them where they're going to play. I, I was on the mailing list for their shows, for their tour manager would send it to me and I would let them know they're playing in your area. And um, that's basically what you would do is you're basically keeping them informed when there is no social media. And, uh, how, far, and would, how long did that have,
0: go?
1: Um, the, when, once it got really big, I did that probably the, the, the uh, beginning of the album came out in March um, it was really out of control by November. And what happened was, is I, I was getting a lot of requests for actual fan club packages, which is what we did not have. They said, do you guys have any kind of membership packages where I can join and I can get things, you know? So I went to their manager, Warren Edner, um, and uh, told him what I was seeing and what the feedback was. And I said, I would love to put together a fan club package for these people and, and, you know, charge them $10 a package. This is, so this is, this is 83 still. And um, Warren loved the idea, but he really didn't think that we would get these people to spend 10 whole dollars on this. Mm -hmm. And um, I disagreed. And he said, I'll tell you what, he says, make a package up, you know, do the research on what you want to put in it in $10 a package. And uh, if you get a hundred orders, let's meet in one month and we'll go into production. We will open the checking account, we'll deposit the money, we'll create the items and we'll fulfill them. I'm like, okay, you got it. So again, on a mission. So I went back and I designed a package and a membership form that had um, uh, the um, what's the uh, Uncle Sam. I went to a, a army recruit store and got a poster, and then I had someone put the metal mask on it, and then I had it say "Quiet Riot wants you," which is one of the posters that you get as a perk. I had someone redesign it because I had to do it by memory, and um, I sent them out and. The response was fantastic, but then a month went by, and I made an appointment with Warren, and I got to his office, and um, he's on the phone. He, he hangs up. He's very calm. He says, let me guess. You, you didn't get 100, did you? And I said, no. So we got 400. <laughs> <laughs> I plopped an envelope on his desk with all the checks for 400 membership fan club requests in one month. So he was in shock and, and that was great. However, it, it didn't quite pan out the way I'd hoped it do. Um, he, the band was getting so huge and, you know, he was running everything. So as the touring was going on in the dates and having to manage the band and here I bring this whole new problem <laughs> to his desk, which is we got to get all these fans now with their packages. A
0: the good problem. Uh,
1: Yeah, but he he, uh, had a hard time, I think, with that. I think he was just too busy with the band. And and that's where the major money is. And of course, tour merchandise is a lot of money. And probably where they want to put their resources, or he did anyway. Um, Months went by and months went by. And people were writing me and they're like, you know, we never got our fan club package. You know, the check didn't clear. Did you get it? And I'm like, oh, God, I'm starting to feel miserable now because I couldn't fulfill it because I'm waiting for us to take that next step. And finally, after about six months, uh, Warren called and said, look, I've just been trying to figure out how we're going to handle this. And I said, I understand. And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to hire a company, a fan club international. And he says, I want you to write the newsletter still. They're going to do all the heavy lifting for you. And, you know, because I was like, you know, 20 years old. I was young still. And he says, you know, you're going to kind of oversee it I'll make the merchandise, you know, and uh, they're going to have to return the checks because they're stale dated And we're just going to have to relaunch it now, now that we know there's a a desire for this. And that's pretty much how it was going to go. Uh, It never really quite went that way. I I saw one letter go out from that company and they rubber stamped my name, which they should have let me write. That's okay. (laughs) And then nothing happened. Nothing happened. I think like in August of 84, one more letter came out from them and it was no longer from me it was more generic and they just rubber stamped the guy's names at the bottom of letters so they took the personal touch out of it um i'm kind of bummed they did that but you know it it is what it is they were they were getting too big and maybe they and and after that there was nothing there was no fan club they they just decided not to do it and i i don't know to this day why um and i saw warren etner at kevin's funeral but it really wasn't appropriate to say hey you know some years ago, whatever happened, it's like, eh, you know, it is what it is. And social media came along, and it really wasn't, a, you know, that's no big deal anymore. But so I was there for the big burst, the big delivery of the band. That's that was my time. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Kevin was in his teens, he used to fancy himself a photographer, you know, of large acts, you know. Yes, and and um, he took photos of like Rod Stewart and Uriah Heep, apparently, and and um, you know, uh, you know. Steve Marriott and that kind of thing when he was a teenager before he decided to become a singer and um Ron Sobel his best friend and photographer and the mother are going to allow me to have a handful of those photos that Kevin did as a teenager and we're going to add a bonus chapter of Kevin's photography at the end of the book
0: that's really fantastic that's and so so many hands to give the stamp of approval that it's really probably like one of the better books out there that you're going to get a biography of, of quite right I mean of true honest opinions where everyone's kind of you know it's, it's great i think it's funny so he's a photographer that kind of explains maybe the attraction with mark too i mean mark was his rock star <laughs> yeah you know?
1: exactly and it's so nice too because the photos are that we were looking at are just first of all they're studying and it it's not like a, a coffee table book where you're just looking at a lot of photos and there's a lot of timeline information like then this happened and this happened it's really coming from more of you know one show we saw this, or you know, we had to sneak into this venue because we were underage. It's more from my perspective of, of that in pieces. So it's not it's not you know kind of a dry, boring, straightforward. It's more about the interesting stories or the fun stories, or you know, just that kind of a that kind of a chronological order that is in instead.
0: And I, I think Mark, you have like you have like you have like oh, tickets or pictures of, for the concert or flyers, and you have like little pieces of stuff in there yeah
1: so i have some yeah some memorabilia that you know kevin's letters like i've I mentioned um mm-hmm. i do have some DeBro photos because apparently um ron sobel stopped being their photographer and became a lighting guy for them so he doesn't have DeBrot photos mark was not there during DeBro. he started when quiet riot was out as mental health so mm-hmm. there are some photos that i took and i was always in the very front row now i had a little you know instant camera but there's still some pretty nice photos and he's right there in your face because wow. I was in front. So
0: well, apparently those are the best photos that are out there right now because Yeah.
1: <laughs> no one yeah else has. Right there, you know, I'm right there to, to get the sweat, you know. So it's it's nice to be able to have that. I, I always had a rule when I'd go to those shows. I would take some photos, mm-hmm. put the camera down. And then I would rock out because I was a, I was an air drummer girl on the front, you know, hair everywhere, you know, and play the drums and singing along. And I didn't want to ruin my, my experience with photo taking. You know what I mean? I wanted to be part of the, the experience of the music and close my eyes and just rock out. And, you know, that's what I did. And then I'd stop take a few photos and then put the camera down again, because there's, there's definitely a difference between witnessing a situation and experiencing it. and, I definitely wanted to experience the music because that's why I was there, you
0: know. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight and and um, we're going to really put the links and everything and, and people go out and buy this book, okay? I want to thank you.
1: Thank you so much for your help, Sean, spreading the word.